When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Boogaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. This week, I bring back one of my favorite people to argue with, Arthur Jomfa. We talk about the first seeds of maybe what will become Danny's madness. Then Steve and I argue at time travel. In my Birds of View section, I will include a short excerpt from my conversation with Carol Parrish Jameson, where we talk a little bit about Hodor. Okay, without further ado, here is Arthur Jamfa. Arthur, I'll be honest, I kind of felt when I started this chapter that there wasn't a lot to talk about. I felt like it's, it was necessary mm. for the plot, but I don't learn en- enough new about Danny or Drogo or Jorah or whatever to feel like, you know, that this would be a really robust discussion. But. Upon second read, I found all kinds of little details here and there that I can't wait to talk to you about. I think you're harsh. I mean, it's a massive plot development. It doesn't turn out to do anything, but it is meant to be a massive plot development. <laughs> it is, but I felt like... Well, let's let's jump right in. Let's jump right in. Okay. Uh, let's talk first... Before I read the synopsis, I want to talk first about... This chapter sort of hinged on this idea of whether or not... Danny can convince Drogo to engage in a conquest of Westeros. Mm-hmm. You're a person who has studied, you know, post-colonialism. You're a person whose your family history relates to colonialism. Yep. And so, I think we're supposed to root for Danny to take over Westeros. Uh, but it's hard. It's hard for me to root for Danny. Uh, how do you feel about this? Um, I don't know that's what Martin's doing. Push you mean you don't think that Martin wants me to Daenerys root for Danny? No, I don't think he does. I think he's trying to make you, from the beginning, feel that something's wrong about Danny. I think he's really trying to believe, okay, she's got some kind of like, some kind uh, of dragon power yeah. within her that makes her very powerful. And so that is kind of pulling you towards her. But I don't think like John, he's saying, okay, you're root for this person because they're good. I think he's saying, actually, as much as person's enticing, there's something dangerous about her. I mean, if we push ahead Do to you when think... she frees the slaves, it's yeah, a really like uh, it's really awkward moment because you're thinking, uh oh. Right. I wasn't going to go here, but we might as well go here. Do you think that the showrunners missed this? Because Mar- you're saying that Martin is trying to clue us into the fact that there's something really wrong with Danny. That's not how I think Danny is introduced in the show. 
Do you feel like the showrunners missed the clues? I think you're singing my tune. This this okay. is my whole issue with the difference between the series and the books. Okay, Danny, good. Tell Danny, me more. Danny is everything, right? She is um she's supposed to be the concluding plot point if we believe that they followed the the lines. It's supposed to be clear that there is something unnaturally attractive about her that everyone is pulled towards her, everyone always listens to her, that she's ruthless. And so we're supposed to think that she's dangerous. But because they casted someone who is just so nice, right? <laughs> she's just adorable. It doesn't work, right? Danny's terrifying. Well, she's adorable, and, 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 but she when she wants to be, when oh, she wants to turn actress. on the colonialism, she, she turns oh. it on pretty pretty hard. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. hundred percent. But yeah, like if, if, if we're going to talk about that, the same scene in the, mm. the show, that scene is the first time when you're like, and I don't even think the showrunners saw it, right? You're watching the show and you're like, well, this is kind of a bit problematic, isn't it? Um, and uh-huh. I think that's the first time that you're like, what's going on with Danny? Where actually I think that the, I, I think that they just completely missed the whole um ooh she is not the fire john she's something very different and they completely miss her so i think that i lean toward that interpretation the other way that you could read this arthur is that you could say that the showrunners knew what was going to happen with danny but they didn't choreograph it because they wanted to fool us at the end. Like everything is about the reveal at the end, right? So they they kind of disguise Danny as someone to root for. And at times, of course, Martin does disguise Danny as someone we want to root for too, right? But I kind of feel like they were so worried about people guessing the ending that they didn't lay the groundwork well enough for that character. That would be the other point of view. Um. Yes, but in I mean, other words, they didn't miss it. They they didn't miss it. They just wanted us to miss it. But do you, do you think they cast Emilia Clark to try and reveal things on us? Because I mean, that's like casting Danny DeVito as Bruce Wayne and then revealing that he's Batman. It's not going to work, is it? <laughs> Are you saying that she's? She's too attractive or too uh, charismatic? No, 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 no. To... I would never say that. No, 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 no. I think, yes, uh, yeah. She's too. She's too charismatic. She's uh-huh. too. She her personality shines too much. Mm-hmm. Her 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 personality is too attractive, right? Mm-hmm. People are just attracted to her all the time, and you, that shines through in the actor, and that in the way that makes her as a great Danny because that's necessary. But she also needs to have a bit of a sassy in her, and Amelia yeah. <laughs> Clark has not has yeah. none of that sassy energy. Um, uh-huh. And then when I she tries know. to completely switch, it's just she's yeah. a great actress, right? It's not in the acting; I, it's I think it's in the casting. Yeah, I think I'm with you ninety ninety nine percent on this. There is one percent of me that mm-hmm. thinks you kind of need someone that's believable, is believable as someone who would inspire people to follow her in the first place, because you know there's a lot of there's a lot of autocrats throughout world history that. 
that had personality. They were cult of personalities, right? It, they have to be charismatic enough to attract a following. But maybe, yeah, maybe Amelia Clark wasn't the best person for How that about part. If that's Sophie what you want to do with her. Yeah. Someone that yeah, I mean, feels slightly colder. I mean, doesn't. And you wouldn't have the problem with the, the dark eyebrows if you had Sophie Turner. <laughs> my That's famously the. Famously, my wife watched the first episode of Game of Thrones with me, and she's like, she like rolled her eyes. She's like, "Why does she have platinum blonde hair and black eyebrows?" And that was it. That was that. She she couldn't suspend disbelief beyond the eyebrows. I mean, I I very impressive spot by your wife. I have to say, very impressive spot. She knew Amelia Clark was the the wrong person for that role. You, you know, you know, ten happened. years before any of us. Did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me read the uh, synopsis here. Danny and Drogo talk after sex. Drogo dismisses any ambitions that Danny might have for Westerosi conquest by proclaiming that the Earth stops where the land ends. Horses cannot ride beyond the salt water. Danny fails to convince him that ships might solve that problem. Later that day, she attends a caravan of merchants. Jorah leaves Danny's side to retrieve a letter from Illyrio. Danny approaches a wine merchant and is about to try his finest red wine when Jorah returns and stops her. Jorah demands that the merchant take a sip first, and the merchant runs. Jorah, it seems, had guessed that the cask had been poisoned just in the nick of time. Later on, she places her dragon eggs in the flames and learns that they don't burn. When Drogo returns and learns of the attempted assassination, he vows to conquer Westeros and put his son on the Iron Throne. Arthur Jonfa, are you interested in talking about a character, a plot point, a theme, or shall you and I climb the ladder of chaos? Um, hmm. Can we talk about a plot point? Yes, absolutely. I don't think anyone's ever chosen a plot point. So you're the, I, I, you're I was the, thinking that once I said it. You're the first to ever choose it. We're more than halfway through the book. Well, what does that say? Uh, what I, does that say about the Storm of Ice and Fire? I think that I, I think it's a character-driven novel. We we always think that Martin is all about the political intrigue, right? Mm-hmm. And I do see people sort of debate plot points on Reddit or whatever. But I think that what draws you in is that Martin writes a compelling character. In this novel, he he writes you know a dozen compelling characters. The plot points wouldn't interest us without the character. So so I think that when people come on this podcast, well, and it may be my fault too, because usually I, I I seek out people who are drawn to particular characters. But I think when people come on the podcast, they're just anxious to talk about one of their favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Um. And let's just reveal how the sausage is made. I asked you to do this chapter because I asked you what kind of chapter you'd like to cover. And you said you're always mm-hmm. interested in the Danny chapters. So mm-hmm. let let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Why are you interested in the Danny chapters? Oh, because I'm interested in Danny. I was just trying to be um, different. <laughs> what draws you to Danny? Um, I I just really famous like, colonist as she is. I true 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 true. Um, I really like the whole female leader is the 
goes from being like the wife slash in kind of a slave position to uh-huh. straight to the top like it's ever been done before and why that's attractive is because it's not on it's not unusual but it's happened in history um and, and those are the and those are really fun stories right if you can come up and with those a are really fun underdog story. story right yeah they're mm-hmm. really compelling there's like this little i don't know this this little tone in our souls that resonates with that kind of story in a way that other stories don't really do for us. It's why Disney loves underdog stories. Exactly. So it's a corner story, but it's also a feminist story. So I guess I'm a fan of one of them and not the other. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. What's the plot point that you want to talk about? I guess I want to talk about, well, in the same way that uh, when we uh, talked about the John chapter, you talked about, well, this is the first time that the North really matters. I think yeah. this is the first time that the South really matters, right? Um, what happened? Well, the Essos, in, right? This is the first right. time that the Essos, first time really that Essos is going to come into Westerns, right? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah. Suddenly, I'm thinking, okay, let me sit up. Let me think. Hmm. I don't know. Do you disagree? Because you said that nothing really happened. I mean, certainly a lot happens in terms of Drogo's motivation. But then I think, you know, Drogo, I guess I know how brief Drogo's tenure is going to be. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of am not as compelled by Drogo's, you know, shift in Drogo's motives. But on reread, what I realized was that there's a major shift in Danny's motivation. And we've se- we kind of have seen it brewing for a little while, but there's a mm-hmm. really crucial moment in this chapter that changes her character in a way that I didn't see at first. I did not um, see that on the reading, so please tell me more. Oh, good. I'm going to read this. Well, but I want to... All right, but we're going to get back to your plot point in, in just a second here. I mean, this is a plot point, right? It's the switch. Oh, sure, 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 sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, here we go. So Danny learns that she is the target of the usurper's assassin, right? And so she says, only me? And then this is what Jorah says. You and the child. No, he cannot have my son. She would not weep. She decided. She would not shiver with fear. The usurper has woken the dragon now, she told herself. And that is when my ears perked up. Hmm, where else have I heard that before? (laughs) And there's a pregnant ellipsis that follows that. And her eyes went to the dragon's eggs. Was it madness that seized her then? Born of fear? Or some strange wisdom buried in her blood? Danny could not have said. All right, so I was really taken by that passage. Not only does she say the usurper has woken the dragon now, which suggests to me that she's got more Viserys in her than she has revealed prior to this. But then it asks the question, is she motivated by madness or is it some strange wisdom that's motivating her? And I think this is where Martin wants us 
to start asking the question about what motivates Danny. Is she wise or is she mad? Because it could be either one with a Targaryen, right? And yeah, hundred percent. Wow, I completely missed that. I always thought about the turning point of Danny being when she eats the the heart of the horse. Sure. No, no, no. Absolutely. It is a turning point for her, especially a turning point for her in relationship to the Dothraki. But mm-hmm. in terms of Westeros, yeah, she has always thought about establishing her son. So her power is sort of flowing through her progeny. In this case, she finds out that someone wants to kill her son. Immediately, her mind goes to vengeance and her eyes go to the dragons or hatching these eggs. And then, of course, she says, the usurper has woken the dragon. And then if that didn't catch your attention, it was like uh, she wasn't sure whether she was motivated by madness or wisdom. And I thought that was fascinating upon reread. I have, I think that's fascinating as well because... In the same way that Carl Drogo, until then, had no real interest in Westeros, when she was scared or threatened before, her, what she would do is she would go back to a safe space, which was her mm. home, and her home mm-hmm. was not Westeros, right? It was no, the place. The, the in, red door, right? Exactly. It was the red door, um, which is, uh, for reference, where she her first memories are, because uh, when her family fled from Westeros, they lived in a nice uh nice house with a red door yeah and here she doesn't go there right she goes straight to westeros straight to vengeance so i guess there's a double turning point right sure called Brogo is shifting and he's gone soon but she's kind of shifts with him when um so in a way it it, it, it is a, a bit like, I'm going to make a historical reference. Um, in the First World War, when um, the Germans sent a telegram to Mexico to, in, to start a war with the US that they would fund to keep them occupied, right? And that telegram was found by, Will, by Wilson and by the, the intel- by the CIA intelligence, and then they yeah. used it as a justification to step into the war. This is basically the same thing, right? Robert Westeros are trying to eradicate this threat in this way by poisoning her, and huh. they, they had the exact opposite effect. It brought, it, brought right. it home. I do have a question about this, but finish up your thought here, and then I'm going to ask you my question. I guess my, my thought is it's just it's, a, it's something almost stateful, right? Um, yeah. What, it, what, yeah, like some wise genie would say, like, "Oh, it's exactly what." Uh, what? Oh, where do I get this quote from? Oh, yeah, this is from Kung Fu Panda. This is... <laughs> yes, please share your wisdom that you gleaned from Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> this is what is exactly why why I've chosen to have a Gen Z. <laughs> A Gen Z guest on my podcast. Oh God, I feel so new, very conscious about my age. <laughs> Can I say that Kung Fu Panda is my favorite trilogy of all time? There's a great video on this on YouTube. Anyway, um, a Master Ugo, like at one point, right? Oh God, this sounds so stupid. But at one point, <laughs> the villain comes, right? Um, in the first film. 
and the second in command is like, oh, send all these, send this guy, um, this messenger to tell them to triple the 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 defense because he heard of a of a of like it, it's written in in fate that the the big villain's gonna escape prison, and. Mm-hmm. Master Ugwe sees him says, say, say this and, he's, and his point is like it's destiny it's going to happen and he says often people encounter their fates while they try to stop it something along those lines um, oh. and, it's, and it's actually that bird that flies over uh, the messenger's a bird right and then it's his uh, feather that's used that actually becomes crucial to the, the villain escaping you know it's not, un, it's not dissimilar to what Mormont told John in the last chapter we covered true yeah very true you know sometimes it's it it is what we love that kills us and this is sort of the reverse of that saying it's Mm -hmm. like you're trying to push against this thing if you try to push against your fate you're almost determining your fate in that way i don't know if that's exactly what master ugwe was trying to communicate i don't know <laughs> I'm not going to speak more, Master Ugwe. I think we should move on. I know you guys. Here's my question. On the face of it, Jora gets this letter from Illyrio, right? Mm-hmm. And my reading, although I'm supplying a little bit here, is that this is probably message from Varys, right? Varys and Illyrio have this relationship. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think I'm pretty justified in thinking that this information came from Varys. So then the question is, did Varys send out two letters? Did he send out a letter to the assassin to say, kill Danny, and then at the same time, he sent out a letter to Illyrio to say, hey, you should be aware that they're trying to kill Danny. That's one option. The other option is that Ned actually saved her life. What? Because the, Ned, right before Robert dies... Uh, he tells Varys, he says, try to undo the assassination. And Varys says, I'm not sure that I can do that. Those birds have already flown, but I'll see what I can do. It could be that that's when he gets word to Illyrio. So I guess the question is, did Ned save Danny's life in this chapter? But is Illyrio the one that stops it? It's Illyrio's letter, right? And the, and the information to Illyrio, I'm guessing, comes from Varys. Hmm. Oh, interesting. So I, I don't know how to read that, and I don't know if I'm. Maybe it's an unanswerable question, but I did think like, okay, is this Varys playing both sides, or is this Ned saving the life of Danny? I'm confused because I thought this was Jorah just feeling bad that saved her. <laughs> well, is that okay. Not what happens. I thought he knew the whole time. Uh, no, no, that's absolutely true. That's absolutely true. I think Jorah has fallen in love with Danny, and he probably wants to save her life because right. he he doesn't want her to be assassinated. But there's no would he have known to be suspicious of the wine merchant if he hadn't seen Illyrio's letter? Mm, I see. So he okay. saw the letter. He said, "That's what made me suspicious." I didn't. I didn't actually know he was trying to kill you until he wouldn't drink the wine. But I got suspicious because of this letter. Let me show you this letter. This letter says that they're trying to kill you and your child. So the, that letter came from Illyrio. And my guess is that, that it's information that Illyrio has gotten from Varys. Okay. Okay. Um, interesting. Could it be 
what you're saying is true. That could be the case. It could also be that Elia is playing both sides. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, because who, yeah, who, who's, sure. who's, 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 who's? I mean, Dallas always talks about these supernatural little birds. Um, <laughs> sure, that yeah. in the series kind of appear as one point at the end trying to kill Danny. I'm like, oh, don't they? Know? They're they're missing the whole time. But for my reading of the books, it's kind of like little birds is anyone, everyone. And mm. I don't, I mean, I'm not really buying that he has that many little birds in Essos. Um, so I think he used Illyrio as an in- intermediary and, and, and Illyrio was like, well, let me hedge my bets. Hmm. And also warn right. them and make them believe that it's not me. Yeah, I think at this point, at this point, to be honest, I don't know if Martin actually knows why Illyrio <laughs> is necessarily important to the plot. Because eventually we're going to come up, we're going to sort of stumble into this fake Aegon plot. But I don't know oh, if that's yes. been devised yet. And so I don't think we have enough information about Illyrio to, at this point to kind of guess at his motives. On the surface of it, he absolutely is on Danny's side and he's trying to help Danny not be assassinated. Why Danny's important to him, we're not sure yet. Apparently, he's sending this letter to Viserys. He still thinks that, Asir- that Viserys is still alive. He doesn't know that Viserys has been killed by Drogo. The letter is meant for Viserys. So I don't know why he thinks Danny's important at this point. <laughs> this is actually kind of funny because you're, what you're saying is that not only that would mean that not only is Ned's absolute righteousness killed him but it's also burned everyone else in king's standing that's right <laughs> and yeah, Ned, the ned's responsible of for Westeros. ned's honor <laughs> ned's honor it, it is the it's the doom <laughs> the most destructive of king's thing. landing well and let's be honest it's a little bit of razagul here because king's landing might need to be burned king's landing is a just mm. Ready to be taken down. King, there's nothing good about King's Landing. King's Landing has true, become true, true. corrupt beyond repair, and Ned is simply the match that lights the flame. Um, yes, yes no? but I forward you to 19th, 19th century London, and now London's <laughs> a great place. So um, I don't I really think it. that. I I do think that uh, I I do think that this probably does come back to Ned. That you know that the, the, the <laughs> That the decision to save the life of a child, that's very key to Ned's character, right? That he did yeah, he doesn't yeah, yeah. know that he's he's saving the life of a future autocrat that's going to ruin the lives of many. I don't uh, honestly you Robert in battle. Robert's foolishness might have been the better course in the long run. I think you're fighting this battle about Ned not being so bad and you're not doing a great job. <laughs> it's, it's probably, I don't think it's anyone's going to join your sides after what you just said. <laughs> you can't argue with the facts. The facts are that Danny will burn <laughs> King's Landing. Yes. Uh, and that Ned is responsible for this. Yeah, it's just well, it's just oh well. it's just facts, man. These are just facts. These are not opinions. <laughs> no, no, of course not. Do not confuse these two things. Can I can I talk about because um, I one of the reasons I really like Danny is because she's like as you do as you know I uh, study China mm-hmm, I was yeah. going to say my spare time but very much not in my spare time very much in my work time and 
one of the most amazing uh, Chinese historical figures reminds me a lot of uh, of Danny. And so I thought we could talk about her. Yeah, tell me. This woman is called Zhang Yisao, or she'll be known as Qing uh, Xie for someone, for some people. Um, yeah, good. Can you spell is... it just because I think people might appreciate the spelling? Yes. So that's... Um, Z H E N G, Jung, uh, Y I E, and then S A O, Sao. Okay. So she um, came from China and spent most of her life in Macau. And essentially, she used to be uh, much worse than Danny. She used to be a prostitute. Mm. And the leader of this, because I mean, the Chinese had these massive pirate gangs full of tens of thousands of pirates, right? So, like, if when we're talking about um, Salazar Stan, right, he's he's chicken change compared to that's not an expression compared to these people, right? Um, they were essentially fleets, and so one of the leaders of one of the, one of these fleets, he just falls in love with her as a prostitute in a, in a bit of a tyrant kind of way. And then he brings her on as his wife. And because he's a pirate, he dies. Mm. And she kind of just becomes the de facto leader, a bit like Danny does. And slowly and surely, not only does she gain control of a few ships, and a few hundred ships, and 3,000 ships, they all rally behind her, but she grows it past him exactly like Danny, she takes all the other all, all the other pirate fleets and she puts her into her control. And she ends up with 80, we think around 80,000 pirates in a fleet. I mean, that is massive. Um wow, how many how many ships would that be? Right. So I've I've like in my tradition, I've set up a game. Okay. Because I did <laughs> need to be one game in an Arthur episode. <laughs> Yes, please. I didn't do it last episode actually, but you know, we'll, no. we'll, we'll, I can't, we'll. I can't wait, can't, can't wait to fail your game. <laughs> Go ahead. So you're gonna have to. I'm gonna tell you the name of a fleet, and you have to tell me if you think they had more or less than eighty thousand. So less or more than her fleet, right? Okay. Okay. Now the Spanish Armada. I just want to say I know nothing of naval naval history. I think. That- yeah, but. <laughs> you should probably talk to Aaron. He's like sort of the naval history buff. Uh, Spanish Armada. How many? You know. Okay. So what's what what what's the I parameters mean, forget, here? Forget forget eighty thousand. Just think this fleet of pirates. Did they have more or less people okay. than the Spanish Armada? Oh, all right. Yeah, sure. So, um, it's China. I'm gonna say less. It's it, China's always going to be the the biggest and the best, right? I mean, that's always the the case. Yes, you are correct. They had less. Okay, so I I just want this is not out of it is not out of intelligence. I've never heard of this pirate fleet before this very moment. But I'm playing the person and not the cards in this case. So yes, okay. I'm going to say bigger than the bigger than the Spanish Armada. Okay, what about the current Royal Navy? The current Royal Navy. Is probably significantly less. I'm going to say less. Yeah. Okay, what just about because the Royal just Navy? because navies yeah. aren't aren't as important as they once were. But go ahead. Yeah. Right. That's what we don't need to to have as much conscription as we used to. Um, 
what about the uh, Royal Navy that defeated the Spanish Armada? I'm going to say that the Royal Navy, I'm going to say, was bigger than the fleet of pirate ships. Just about. It's in its entire size, not as in the people that were present during one battle, uh, i.e. Uh, when they defeated the, the Spanish Armada, that one famous one. So, um, yes, the answer is yes. All right. Well, I, um, I did, I did better finally, than I thought I was going to do. You, 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 I think you rig these things so that... I actually get to feel better about myself at the end. Um, wait, I've got... I've very got, I've, shrewd very shrewd of you. I've got a final one, though. What about um, the Roman? Roman fleet? I actually know a little bit about the Roman fleet. We're talking about, like, overall? I guess it would... We're talking it, would, it, would it would depend on what stage of history we're talking about, but... Yes, um, I'm, I'm going to guess any, that at the height of its power, at the height of their power, Rome had the bigger fleet. Rome did have the biggest fleet. They didn't have a slightly bigger fleet. They had 300,000 people, which is um, ridiculous. Um, that is the, the, when the Carthaginians <laughs> and the Romans went at it, it was yeah. absolutely mad. They had like 300,000 people on each side, um, and they had these like m- massive ships. It, it was crazy. But yes. Anyway, the point is, she had a lot of people. She had a huge fleet, absolutely, and she was a sex worker, and she rose to power in the ranks of these uh, pirates. Right? That mm-hmm. that's impressive. Absolutely, it's impressive. Hey, I want to ask you a question. Okay, mm-hmm. so at the very beginning of the chapter, it says, "I'm going to compare two passages here. I want I want to get your reading on this." Okay. The very beginning of the Danny chapter, it says, When he had taken his pleasure, Caldrogo rose from their sleeping mats to tower above her. Pleasure here is sexual euphemism, right? Mm. <laughs> I don't like this line of inquiry. I just want to say this from the from the Okay, top. all right. <laughs> Let, I'll take your I'll take your mischievous laughing as a as an affirmative, yes. Um, right. No, no, no. That's not what my mischievous laughing is. My mischievous laughing is um, I'm scared I'm going to get drawn into uh-huh. um, a conversation about rape. <laughs> let's, let's. Um, yes, I think that, it is. I, so I, think, I, think, I think so. I think you're being mischievous. So I'm being like, I see what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, but it's here. not the rape I'm like talking it. about. It's not the rape I'm talking about. Okay. This is, this is a quote from a little bit later in the chapter. They've found out that the merchant has tried to assassinate Danny. They've caught him. Mm-hmm. All right. And then this merchant captain, Bian Votaris, says this. Take this one away to await the pleasure of the cow. To await the pleasure of the cow. What's going to happen to this guy? Okay. It's, okay. Yes. You, you know what? I uh, I see what you're saying, and I agree. I think there is only one definition of pleasure. Both phrases seem very intentional. So it's clear that, that the cow taking his pleasure involves some sort of mounting, right? Yes. Uh, and, uh, and, and later on, Cal Drogo does vow to rape the women of Westeros. So this is not beyond his character to do something like this 
and of course this isn't this is just the the wine merchant that's talking or the captain of the merchants who's talking but he says mm-hmm. take this one away to await the pleasure of the cow uh i read that differently this time around than i okay. had in previous reading i i can't tell if you're joking or if you genuinely i think isn't because from the way I the way I read it, the first time is pleasure is a euphemism for for mm-hmm. uh, sex, yeah. at least pleasure on his end, and then the, the other time is the pleasure of the presence of the cow. In the same way that you can say like the weight, the pleasure of the queen, in the sense that that's right. Yeah, right? you could read it that way. Yeah, I live in a monarchy, so I've got a bit of an, an advantage on that one. <laughs> you you Americans you struggle with m- monastic vocabulary. Hist- yes, it's famously we struggle with. <laughs> You're like, what is the royal we? What's going on? Who else is she talking about? <laughs> famously, we struggle with lots of things that happen on your, your side of the world. But I I thought that is a very intentional word in this way. I think that he means to say that Cal Drogo is going to come and rape him. Um. Yeah. So, sorry, sorry to take such a dark turn. On. Yeah. 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 Exactly. No, but you're right. I think it is. I think it is useful, right? And I think it it is interesting that Martin's telling the story, but perhaps, perhaps he didn't even think of this because he lives in the modern world where he can't even perceive sexual violence on another man. In a way that I mean, sexual violence is still massively used war tool, right? But if, if 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 you're saying that back oh and Danny's going to learn this you know this is part of yeah. war sexual mm-hmm. violence is part and parcel to not just Dothraki culture but just the culture of war mm-hmm. um and i don't know if martin is sort of scripting this ahead of time or if this is like what you were saying this is sort of just like yeah pleasure means one thing in one context and it might just mean you know some sort of political servitude in some other context Um, okay i like to think i like to think that um it didn't happen um because i like to think the world is good (laughs) okay good Good. Uh, notable introductions in this chapter well we meet the assassin we also meet captain bian votiris i guess that's how you'd say his name captain bian votiris um, and I would say that we meet for the first time the idea of Danny's madness. So I think that that's an introduction that is noteworthy. Yes, absolutely. Um, notable departures. Well, they depart, uh, they will depart Vase Dothrak. And I don't think in the book series we ever return to Vase Dothrak. Um, but maybe we will return in future books. And then show differences. I didn't have a lot here, but I will note that this scene for Jason Momoa is just masterful. Man, 
Ana Vidrigana Seresanati. Minana Voira Xizer. Badina do Trakazevido Yomi Hadeziba Cascavel. Mortalamos. He was amazing. He just killed that scene. I cannot, I cannot read this passage and not see Jason Momoa. You know, stomping and chanting around the the, uh, the campfire, he just is amazing in this scene. Really becomes Cole Drogo. I mean, he, maybe be, it's because he I becomes knew of Cole he's Drogo so impressive. Of Jason Momoa, but still, yeah, he's so yeah. impressive. So much so that I think afterwards, I heard him in an interview say that after he did Game of Thrones, he had trouble getting parts because people didn't know that he could speak English. Which is ridiculous. Like, what do you <laughs> think he on only speaks world, this pretend language that was invented <laughs> by David Peterson? It, it's, mm. <laughs> of course, he, of course, he can speak <laughs> other languages besides Dothraki. <laughs> but, but that's how much he inhabited the role. Is that co- people couldn't imagine him as someone who was outside that character? Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, you know, he's he's amazing. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. For Prestige, me and Aaron are still extending our Shogun Afterglow with part three of our discussion of the 1980s TV miniseries. Last week absolutely shocked our sensibilities with Lord Toronaga doing the tango. What delights and horrors will await us this week? Then for Pulp, this Friday, join us for our latest prep session for House of the Dragon Season 2 as we take another look at the key differences between the text of Fire and Blood and the on-screen action for Season 1 and what they mean for the characters, story, and setting. Get your Valerian steel sharpened for the new season. You can find these and many other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. And now Steve and I cover The Door. Does Arya want to be an actress or a killer? We see the king's moot in action. Sansa confronts Littlefinger. But the titular plot point is that we find out why Hodor is named Hodor. Here's comic Steve Osborne. So Steve, you're just against time travel. Is that what you're saying? Um, here's the thing. If time travel exists or will exist, it's already done whatever it needs to do. As yeah. far as I'll ever know. Yeah, that's fine. I, I'm with so, you on that. But you're all right. So let's say I've got a I've got a time machine. Mm hmm. You're not you going had with, a time machine. You're not going with me. I may already have. <laughs> I don't think you have. 
here's the thing. You and I will never get in a time machine, even if a time machine exists. We can't. Because we never have gotten in one. We either have never have gotten one, or if we go to get in one, we would have already done something that would have made that most likely not an option because whatever we would go back to fix would have already been fixed. So therefore we would never have gotten in one. So as far as I know, time travel could exist and we may have already done everything. That's right. Hitler may have gone back in time to kill himself. Let's say a year from now, I've got a time machine and you You and I get in the time machine. We can't. We go back. We just see, all we do is we go to the Monterey music festival. That's all we do. We see the Mm -hmm. festival. Mm Mm-hmm. We get back in the time machine, we come back to the exact moment. Tell me why it's not doable. Because we were there. You don't know we weren't there. Why don't I remember it now? Because it hasn't happened yet for your waking memory. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me... So you're telling me... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That you get a time machine. Yeah, look, it's not that far-fetched. I could build a time machine. You, you You don't think I could build a time machine? And you decide to invite me... Of course. And, who who and else? We, and, well, no, this is great. And you, your intent is to go back, to use this technology, to go view the Monterey Music Festival yeah, yeah. with explicit instructions. We're not allowed to do anything but watch. No, it's, it's not over. that we're not allowed to do anything. It's just It just so happens that that's why we're there. We do. It's not like we want to kill Jimi Hendrix. We, we, no, just... we go and then, and so I just go and I just, I get some beverages. Yeah, I that's fine if that's what you want to do. I, Here's the thing: is we automatically we look different, right, than everybody else there. Not we, so, we not speak, so much. We, we speak, <laughs> yeah, maybe we speak differently. All these things. So, so the idea that we have no impact. I mean, we'd have to be in a bush, away from everything. Nah, 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 nah. See, every every element that you suggest is a variable. Suggests that we set off some sort of a chain reaction that puts us in a situation that we aren't you know at best we'd have to go back in time to stop ourselves from going back in time because we did something inadvertently because you didn't say that there was any rules about sitting and watching in a bush yeah i what my my feeling is that if that happened that's the reality we're living in right now right we may be living in a reality right now where you and i both got to see a really bitching concert no we are not living in a reality where you and I have gotten to see that. We are living in a reality where we, we eventually might. No, see, what I'm saying is like. We haven't done it yet. You just said we haven't done it yet. Even we though did it. it we did it. We don't know that we've done it yet. That's, okay. that's the idea. So when do we become knowledgeable when we come back in that time machine, right? Well, I think, yeah, I think we, we start entertaining the possibility once I have a time machine. And then I think well, we'll probably argue about what to do with the time machine. No, we're not. Because and we're- I think that you're the one that talks me into going to the concert. See, that's the thing is we've already had this conversation now, which means now whatever time machine you may build is with the explicit intent to do this very thing, to do it the way that we talked about it. Because now we've, we, can't, we can't now go do this time machine, going to the Monterey Festival, ignorant of the fact that we might ever go to the, uh, the Monterey Festival. We've already had this conversation. The seed has been planted. Well, I've already, I'm already decided. If ever I have a time machine, I'm taking you or going to the Monterey Festival. And, right. and you can have a beverage. I think it's okay. I really think it's going to be okay. And so here's the thing. is Here's how I know that this won't ever happen. You want to know how I know it won't ever happen? <laughs> 
because I never take you to a concert. <laughs> well, that's one thing. And the other thing is, now that we've had this conversation, you take me there. I'm going to want to prove to you once we get there that I can change the course of the future, which means you and I did not go because right now the Monterey uh, Music Festival, there is no legend of anything that I may have done to just to prove a point to you there. Yeah, well, since we've had this conversation, I'm not going to take you now because you're not going to be a cool hang. I mean, you're going to you you're going to cause a problem. I, you're going to you are you going to harsh the entire experience for me. See, what we're doing right now is now changing the course of your time travel plans mm -hmm. in the future. So you can't go back and ha undo this conversation. You could, but I know you didn't because we're having it, and you're the one who introduced the topic today. I'm going to take Sarah. You're just going to be no fun at all. Yeah. So what would you thank do you for proving my issue? <laughs> what would you do? All right. So you want to prove to me that you can change history. What would you do? Well, I wouldn't do anything like murderous, but yeah, I would do exactly. Something. So that's not going to be in the news. Anything that you do is not going to make it. If I look, if I cause a scene on stage that disrupts the Monterey the music, the so most that you're going to do is you're going to get into some conversation about beverages with someone. That's what's going to happen. I'm going to jump on stage and that would be visible to people. People would remember this. They'd talk about it. There'd be clips of this. There isn't. So that's how I know it didn't go. You are going to get clotheslined by like a hell's angel. There's no that's way fine. you're getting on stage. There's no way you're getting on stage. That's my sole purpose in this mission. And if I don't get on stage. And I'm telling you, the uh, hell's angels are not going to let you do this. Then there's going to be a kerfluffle. That people will remember. There was a kerfluffle. There was a kerfluffle with the Hells Angels. There was. <laughs> and you might have caused that, Steve. You need to go look at the tapes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. All right. So I was thrilled by Hold the Door. I thought that's very clever. You planted the scene early on. And I thought it was a great payoff. But I'm guessing that you weren't all that impressed. I uh, love the episode. Oh, all right. Okay. So you, you, you suspended your disbelief. I went, yeah, I, I went along for the ride. Now, I mean, looking back, I have now, now there's some issues, but I was, so here's the thing. An effective storytelling should do that, right? Like it should get you to a point where you're like, like it, and Game of Thrones has challenged a lot of my issues, a lot of my concerns taking me in places that I very reluctant to go or mm -hmm. usually avoid going. And then I go and I go, man, that was great. Um, but now, you know, and then, and then afterwards you're kind of like, eh, wait a minute. So I have, I'm having a wait a minute moment. Mm -hmm. So let's walk through this. Right. So I was engaged with the whole thing. I thought they did a good job of creating the tension, uh, the, the, the peril. And then you have this. And then, so the, since we've already flirted with the idea that maybe it's not the wind. Oh yeah. Yeah. The brand can change. Can, can brand change the past? That was, that was the question. Right. So that, so, so since we flirted with it, now we, now we have confirmation, right? And so it's, it's great. It seems like a missed opportunity to have the, the whole show end as he's on the ground shaking that like, you know, the people come in to come from at least one person goes, what are you talking about Willis? Yeah. You wanted that. I didn't really need that. You don't want to what you're talking about, Willis moment at the end? 
if we could get Gary Coleman to do it. I mean, that's to me seems like it's just right there. <laughs> it would only work if it was Gary Coleman. And then what you have is you can say not only was Bran able to impact the past from the future, but it also sets on a course for television history. Yeah, I would, however, accept Emmanuel Lewis if <laughs> if Gary Coleman's not available. <laughs> so, all right. I thought it was great. I felt like I don't need to reckon. I don't think that Bran can change the past. I think that Bran always existed in the past, just at a different time. And he didn't know that he existed in the past until he was able to experience the past. Just like I don't know that I what's going to happen in the future until I experience the future. So what you're saying is in order for Bran to have a Hodor hold the door moment, and the only way he can really have that is if Hodor is Hodor. Willis isn't, you know, for, for, it's arguable that Willis isn't able to be controlled like Bran. It's also arguable that Willis would not have been in the position of servitude that Hodor was had he stayed with Willis. That's right. So therefore the the uh the presence of hodor does not exist in a timeline in which bran does not uh interfere because the thing is bran doesn't say hold the door you yeah, know no it's mira that's right it's right Mir- so mira the idea that bran always exists in the past is romantic but irrelevant to this conversation because no 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 mira, no, no you're missing it because what happens is steve uh, follow me here. This is you're a uh, time travel apologist, and I'm and I'm going to show very. Uh, I'll show some patience, but not much. Yeah. All right. What happens here, is, Steve, is that is that Bran is observing the courtyard at Winterfell. Mm-hmm. Mira is trying to get him to dial himself into Hodor, mm-hmm. but instead he butt dials himself. <laughs> Into Willis. into Willis. Got it. How's that? Are you with me? <laughs> this is about as good as I've heard any time travel. This is this is the butt dial theory. Right. Okay. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we had this conversation because I really think that I've enlightened you. <laughs> yeah. So now that he can go and access or he can connect the future to the past. Yeah. Just you should just probably go back to when uh you know Ned was about to leave winterfell to go help robert breath you know, well what would somebody, happen what would happen scream in the background don't go and then ned starts shaking and his new name is dogo okay if you go back to the first episode mm-hmm. ned is underneath the weirwood tree and there's there's a bit of wind happening how do you know that that's not bran yelling don't go In addition to that, Bran goes into the forest and Asha says, listen to the trees, listen to the wind in the trees. Those are the guys talking back to you. So it could be that unless you actually butt dial yourself into Hodor, that you're actually not going to have much more effect than sort of the wind. But he did. He did butt dial into Hodor. And I'm glad that you now have agreed with me that he butt dialed into Hodor. So he did butt dial and then that changed the course of everything no 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 that was always the course that was always the course 
but how? Exactly how you saw it is how. Exactly how it went down, that's always how it was going to go down. There's no alternative of it not going down that way. So, So what you're saying is that time is a loop. I'm saying that it's, I mean, in, in the world of the show, I don't know if this is the way it is anywhere else, but in the world of the show, things have to happen the way that they're going to happen. There's no other option. The ink is dry. The ink is dry. So anyway, I but think the that the butt was... dial theory is unassailable. I don't think anyone's going to convince me <laughs> that my butt dial theory is not solid. No, I mean, what happened saying what happened in the show doesn't change what that means now now it means that oh okay so people in the future impact the past and the only way that the past can lead to that future is if that future that was already created from or that from the future's past is the only, is the only way it can happen <laughs> i just i, I want to play that last line just on loop well, that that might as well be the summation of this show. And this is where I'm like, I'll. you want to give me dragons, you want to give me resurrection, you want to give me smoke babies, uh-huh. I'm, I'm there. But if you're going to tell me now that, oh, the reason why we're in this predicament is because of things that haven't happened yet. And I'll it's, say, a, it's interesting sorry, because I think my, my impression of you has always been you're really into sci-fi kind of will tolerate some forms of fantasy. Sure. Uh, but this is the most sci-fi element of the show, I think. And I would argue with you that time travel is the most fantasy element of sci-fi. Ah, well, that's a uh, touche, sir. <laughs> now I will, uh, let me just for entertainment's sake, after this episode, <laughs> there were a lot of fan theories about Bran. Okay, I mean, I'm telling you, like, he's like, there's like dozens of fan theories about Bran. Um, because at one point, the three-eyed raven says, it's time for you to become me. Right. So some people were saying, actually, he is going to time travel into the past because he's super talented at whatever he's doing. And he will actually go back in the past a thousand years or whatever and become and be, be that guy and become that guy. And continue to talk to himself and 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 screw with poor Hodor. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, he's but he's always got access to Hodor. Like he just, whenever he wants to mess with Hodor, he's got that option. Another very prominent theory was that Bran becomes the Night King, and I think that that one got a lot of traction. Actually, people were suggesting this way earlier than this episode. What they were suggesting is eventually Bran goes back in time and he becomes the weapon that's used against, you know, some evil force and he ends up becoming the night King, but that didn't, you know, none of that came to fruition. I mean, there were a lot of people really invested in theories like that. Another, and this doesn't have to necessarily do with brand, but this may be my favorite fan theory of all time. Do you remember when, Danny is pregnant and she's going to give birth and Jorah walks her into that demon tent. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then Jorah carries her into the tent where Miriam as is. And there's like all kinds of demon noises going on. Right. Right. Oh, that's right. Okay. 
Well, one fan theory that I just I love so much is that the baby that came out of Danny got time traveled into the future and swapped with the baby that was originally thought to be Tyrion Lannister. So Tyrion Lannister is a time traveling fetus. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's uh because the rumors of Tyrion when he was born was that he was scaled and he had a tail or whatever. Right. And um, you know, uh Tyrion is supposed to have platinum blonde blonde hair, so maybe he's a secret Targaryen. Uh, anyway, I like time travel theories, Steve. Well, they're they're entertaining to discuss, I suppose, but like but so that you now I feel like now you run the risk. Yeah. Of going, well, how do we get out of this situation? Because it feels like a parlor trick, if I may go to uh, some earlier, uh, you know, in-show criticism to mm-hmm, magic. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels a little bit like you create this wonderful aha moment that nobody needed, right? Like, I mean, was anybody like, was anybody clamoring for the origin story of Hodor? Probably not. They didn't. So th- they didn't know that they wanted it, but once once we got it, we knew we needed it. It just feels like a clever thing, and then or it's either a clever thing. Yeah, guess what? I'm tuning in for clever things. That's what I want to see. So so here's the thing. So so without knowing how we get to where we get, I, there's a lot of criticism about how this thing ends. It's true. It's true. However, and I don't know if you have not experienced that yet. And your experience I? may be different. <laughs> How we don't know that I haven't experienced it yet. That's true. We don't look. Um, but see, here's an example, right? So, so everybody else has been to the future. All other viewers of this show have been to the future. I'm in the past. If you're looking at the show okay, and sure. watching it, right? Yeah. So you, you, you are you're time you're time traveling. You're you're talking to me. You're. It's inevitable that your experience of the future is going to somehow. Um, you know, it's going to frame sure. how you approach uh, this this interaction, which may in turn frame some of my interaction, willingly or unwillingly. So I, I hope it's situation. I hope it's willingly. I mean, you're not being forced into this interaction. Right? No, or or I guess the point being like you may not even realize that you're you're framing it. You oh, know, I realize like, it. Oh, I realize. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I do so have some you, kind of influence. Yeah, that's right. Because like again, I'm like, okay, so that's so Brand can influence the past. Either he always was in the past, and he's now in the future. But it's but he, he can't solve his own problems unless he creates his own problems, and it's a weird. See, I don't think he, I pattern. don't think Brand can influence the past. I think um, sure it I seems think like he did. Either he has influenced the past, uh, and if if he did, then then he's living in that present. That doesn't explain it <laughs> uh i do want to talk about one other thing well there's a lot to talk about in this episode i uh, there, there is but i want to at least get to one other thing i really enjoyed the little acting troupe <laughs> right. i think i enjoy anything that helps with the world building element of it and i think that knowing that there are narratives that are running around in the in the world of the commoners that are so well known that now this acting troupe can kind of 
satire the whole thing. Um, Ned gets presented as a total doofus, which is kind of like a caricature of Ned in real life. But the actors have, or whoever wrote that play, has sort of bought into the official narrative that that Ned has designs for the throne. You know, it's it's all the official sort of Lannister spin on it, right? Right. I thought that was all very well done. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed Arya sort of horrifically watching what has been done to her father's reputation. Right. How did you, what what, did, what, what did you think? I, yeah, I feel the same way. I think that because it was, it was interesting how like, I like this part of the, of the trying to become no one thing is that like every move she makes. And I don't know if it's, this is all part of the training where she's going to like, she's going to be assigned a job where she's going to run into the temptation. Yeah, that seems kind of contrived by Jack and like, hey, I guess, how are you going to deal with this? Right. Right. It's either contrived by Jack and or it's a it's a demonstration that, look, part of becoming no one means to be escaping who you are and who you are is you're, you're kind of a bigger deal. Yeah. If you really know one, the way that Ned Stark's portrayed on that stage shouldn't really have any effect on you. Right. And so if, if either it's, so it's, so it becomes either a look everywhere you go, you're going to be reminded by your legacy or at least your family's legacy, because that's how big it is. Uh, So I, I like that. And it it does make, it does put me in a spot where I'm not sure what I'm rooting for with her. You know what I mean? And I I don't mind that. I actually like the idea that I'm like, because I don't know that I want her to become no one, but I also don't know if I want her to, you know, I don't know if I want her to become no one and then become just sort of this random mercenary. But I also don't know if I want her to be to stay Arya hellbent on revenge. Right. So it's like like yeah. neither one of those is great. You'd like to see a door number three, but like there's just well, what's like interesting? And, yeah, I think there's not a lot of doors for yeah, these kids. Yeah, I think that um, well because Hodor is standing in front of all of them. Right. Yeah, um, and and he always has been, even when he wasn't. <laughs> He never wasn't, Steve. He never wasn't, and he also never has. <laughs> but he always will. <laughs> That's the beauty of it. Uh, so th- this was a great showcase of her taking steps toward becoming no one by walking into a situation where her ego is just going to be really involved with the entire yeah. thing. Anyway, I, I love that. <laughs> Um, I, I'm also looking forward to the next episode where Bran and Arya interact with each other, but then they get separated because she's like, I'm going to become no one. And then like in the background, someone starts shouting, Arya going to become no one? Arya going to become no one? And then he goes in the past when uh, Catelyn is giving birth to Arya. You've watched ahead, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Arya. Oh, Arya. <gasps> that sounds like a lovely name. I heard it on the wind. That's how it ends. That's why people <laughs> hate season eight. Um, oh my god! And I would be like, okay, now it works. Well, they tried it with Hodor, and people seemed to like it, so they thought, <laughs> so let's do it. With what the heck? Let's do it with everybody. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. Um, do you like? Do you like Euron? Are you interested in Euron? Um, I like his eyeballs. I'll tell you that much. He's got crazy eyeballs. This is <laughs> this is definitely going to be one of those. Um, Euron is intriguing. 
but I'm curious, I'm very curious as if he's intriguing enough for me to give two shits about the, the Ironborn and their whole it's thing. It's this medieval game of hopscotch. <laughs> and one of the little kids is yelling, you're off. And one of the, <laughs> someone else is yelling, you're, you're on, a, you're on. Brand, Brand's one job is just to name everybody. You're on. Accidentally. <laughs> Uh, all right. Sorry. I mean, I, I, I keep seeing him. I, it's, you know, it's pretty close to urine. Um, <laughs> uh, it's, it's Jamie drinking the horse piss. Yeah. And Brienne saying, urine? Urine? <laughs> urine? <laughs> uh, all right. So, all right. So you're on, you're not into urine. I like you. I, I like, I oh, like his crazy I, eyes. I like, I like, I, like I said, I, I think I was, this episode was, was real, real good. I liked, I liked, I think almost everything about it, to be honest. Um, but again, it's like when I'm in it, I was like, yeah, this is a rad ride. And then now that I'm out of it, I'm like, all right. And, and again, I, in, in two episodes that I went from, Oh, good. We're on the Iron Islands. They're like, oh, a little intrigue on the Iron Islands. Um, and a good baddie will do that, right? Well, and I think that if you're going to introduce a character at this point, he's going to have to explode onto the scene. Right. And it and, has to and be I think Euron like comes this. in like very first scene, he murders someone, right? Right. And then the next time you see him, he's confessing to the murder to a whole group yeah. of people, which brings me to my point. I think that in a world without like a judicial system... People don't know that they're not just supposed to confess to large groups of people that they murdered someone. And so this like, oh, is what I, I, gives like the Lannisters and Littlefinger such power is that they've actually figured out that if you can keep the secret about your murder, you can get away with it. <laughs> well, yeah. And the, the other side of it, I think everybody's just like, oh, well, I've already picked out my person for the battle to death. So it's fine. <laughs> for, that's for, been implied right i mean that's been implied in this whole trial thing with cersei is mm -hmm. that she's gonna have the the uh the franken you know, mountain right franken mountain is going to is gonna to be like is she's franken mountain or mountain mountainstein <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's probably mountainstein i think mountainstein is probably better yeah or Frankenstein's Mountain, if you want to be true to the uh, <laughs> to the literature. I I I'm happy. I'm happy with where that landed. We're getting geared up for the sixth annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off badass season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre, we're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. 
Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, <laughs> now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. Hey, it's time for another season of Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? The premise is simple. A Gen Xer and a millennial watch old 80s action TV to see what still works and what doesn't. In previous seasons, we've done podcasts for Knight Rider, Airwolf, MacGyver, A-Team, and more. However, this year we're doing a very special season of Feeney. We're going back and reviewing the very special episodes of 80s and 90s sitcoms. Come cringe along with us as Hollywood tries to warn our families of the dangers of underage smoking, drug abuse, alcoholism, eating disorders, and much more. We start out with the episode of Boy Meets World where a high school kid gets sucked into a cult. Worlds collide as the Mr. Feeney finally makes an appearance on Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? Join me and my buddy Jay each week for episodes full of nostalgia and secondhand embarrassment. And don't worry, a very special isn't your speed. We've also got some all-time classic Knight Rider episodes to close the season with. Find Why is Mr. Feeney a Car? each Wednesday on Bald Move Pulp starting April 3rd. Madman and father of Mad Max, George Miller, is back with another apocalyptic tale from the Australian wastelands. This time we're getting a prequel featuring the origin story of Charlize Theron's character Furiosa, starring the Queen's Gambit's Anya Taylor-Joy in the title role and the mighty Thor Chris Hemsworth as the warlord Dr. Dementis. Furiosa promises more high-octane, slightly radioactive action and fun. Furiosa drives into theaters on May 24th, and we'll have our spoiler-free thoughts and impressions of the film, as well as a discussion of trailers and upcoming movies for everyone. But if you want to ride with us the full length of the podcast on the eternal highways of Valhalla, shiny and chrome, you're going to have to be a club member. Join today at support.baldmove.com. Get our full discussion of Furiosa and many more first-run films, plus tons of other bonus podcasts and ad-free feeds. Support.baldmove.com. I saw a little connection here, and it could just be that I'm reading too much into the story, but I'll kind of run this past you. Okay. Okay, Hodor is a little bit of a hybrid character. He looks a little bit like a giant, right? You know, right. Russian notes, that guy's got giant's mm-hmm. blood. If, if he doesn't have giant's <laughs> blood, I'm the queen, you know? Yeah. 
Okay, so that recalls to me, because of my own day job, there's this story in Genesis 6 Uh about these deities who come to Earth and have sex with women. And these women give birth to these monstrous hybrid creatures. And they're usually called the Nephilim in most Bibles, but in the Greek tradition, they're called giants. Yeah. And this is sort of the origin of giants in this Jewish mythology. And so here we have the Hodor, who's kind of represents this weird half-human, half-giant character. At least that's how he looks, right? Mm-hmm. He's got brown hair all over his body and... You know, Asha's noticing his manhood, and and here Bran's trying to discern, like, is, is, I wonder, he is pretty big. He, he has to duck to get under the tree there. And then Asha goes on to tell him these stories about how, you know, sometimes giants mate with women. You know, sometimes women giants mate with men, and that's how you get the, the half-breeds. And so I thought, hmm, I wonder if this is a little homage to this sort of Jewish mythology. We don't see a lot of it in Martin's works, but half human, half giant, based on crossbreeding between giants and humans, this sounds very familiar. Right, yeah. And I'm thinking about the giants that appear in medieval literature, and and I can't think of any hybrid giants. There may Mm. be, but I cannot think of any that are hybrid. Sometimes they're symbolic. Right. Um, I'm thinking in you know, Jeffrey of Mama's portrayal of King Arthur, he fights a giant right before he faces the Roman Empire. So clearly it's, you know, symbolic of the, sure. the great battle he has ahead. So, and, and other giants are just outright giants. So that, that's an interesting thought. Well, what about, okay, so now I'm, now I'm really stretching. <laughs> the story of Bran the Blessed. Mm-hmm. Bran the Blessed, who, you know, defends England and Wales, right? He's, he's mm-hmm. the king who is a giant. He's gigantic. He's so big, he can wade along the ships on their way to make war with Ireland. Mm -hmm. So I think that what we have here is little hat tips to these old stories, maybe. Yeah, we do. We do. And it's maybe significant that doesn't this chapter end with Hodor saying Hodor (laughs) and Bran wondering what it meant. (laughs) And I think that that, to me, is what got me thinking about this, because if Hodor is this creature between worlds, right, Mm -hmm. he's this creature, he's not quite human, he's not quite giant, he's a little bit of both, that if the books go in the same direction as the series, Mm -hmm. Hodor is always a creature between worlds. He is, yeah. He's a a creature between past and present, and he's also a, a creature who's perpetually stuck in a doorway. Mm-hmm. And that's where the word Hodor comes from. That's where from. the word, yeah, the word comes from. I, you know, that's one of those things reading the first time that, of course, I, you know, I paid no attention to the fact that this chapter ended with Hodor saying Hodor. But now it has a lot of meaning. And it's specifically, it's like Bran says, and then Bran agreed, yes, Hodor. But then he wondered, what, am, what, is what that does it mean? mean? Which, of course, invites the reader to ask the same question. <laughs> 